This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. to a special Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Isabel Hardman. On Thursday, voters went to the polls and on Friday, we spent the day chewing through those results. But now we're past the initial announcements. What does it mean in terms of the next general election? There are two projections, one by the BBC and one by Sky, in terms of what uh, general election seat projection would be based on the local election results. We're going to do both in the interest of fairness, as we're not quite sure which is right. The first is the BBC seat projection, which puts Labour as the largest party on 291, the Tories second largest at 253, the Lib Dems on 31, and then there's a Sky poll, which puts the Conservatives as the largest party on 278 but with Labour closely behind in 271 and then the Lib Dems on 28. Now, to begin, James, obviously we're looking at what a local election result might look like as a general election, but it's interesting because actually when SPADs had their weekly meeting on Friday, one of the things that they were told by David Canzini, the Deputy Chief of Staff, they were showing graphs as to what a local election looks like compared to the election the next year, and often they're quite different. Yeah, you can read too much into local election results. And you know, if you look at 2012, you know the Tory national vote share then was 31%. It's 30% in this election. Three years later, the Tories went on to win a majority. But what I think those two projections get at is right now, I think the most likely result of the next election seems to be that there would be an anti-Tory majority in the next parliament. Not that there would be a Labour majority, but that the Tories would not have 326 seats. And the problem for the Tories is that they are essentially kind of uncoalitionable. They don't have anyone to go into government with if they fall even a couple of seats short, because the Lib Dems aren't going to do that, given what happened to them, the electoral consequences of doing so last time. And, you know, I don't even think the Northern Irish Unionist parties would do that, considering what happened to the DUP with the protocol. So if the Tories want to stay in power, they have to win outright. And I think one of the worrying signs for the Tories is that politics is breaking down at the moment, in part because the Tories have been in power for 14 years by the next election, into kind of Tory and anti-Tory. I think you are beginning to see, in much the same way that you did in 1997, self-sorting in constituencies, where people work out who they're going to vote for, who is the not-Tory candidate, and then voting for them. And that could cause the Tories difficulties. Now, the Tories think that the fact that at the start of the next campaign, a hung parliament is going to be one of the most credible outcomes, but they can use that themselves in the way that they did in 2015 to kind of squeeze out their own majority. You know, I would be shocked if we get through the next campaign without seeing kind of lots of pictures of Keir Starmer in Nicola Sturgeon's pocket. And I mean, it's always hope that they can kind of push on that idea that people want government. I mean, the danger for the Tories is that there might well be a mood in the country, but they're not quite sure who they do want. They're not totally sold on Keir Starmer or whatever, but they don't want the Tories in charge anymore. Isabel... When it comes to winning a fifth term, it's pretty unprecedented. Do you think the Tories are running out of road? As James points out, there's no coalition partners. They couldn't work with the DUP again. And we're starting to see signs that actually Labour and the Lib Dems can work together, perhaps not in an official way, but in some way. 
Yeah, that last one's interesting because the Lib Dems are always happier to do that than Labour. And there is a sort of there's a fascinating visceral hatred in some parts of Labour of the Lib Dems that, that goes all the way back to the SDP. I mean, they just they do find it very, very hard emotionally to countenance that kind of thing. Interestingly, in Scotland, it's been much more commonplace for these kind of informal pacts to take place. So you've had candidates, Labour candidates in general elections over the past couple of years where actually they've only really been paper candidates because they've wanted the Lib Dem in that seat to succeed because the Lib Dem candidate has got the most realistic chance of of beating the SNP. I know a few candidates who actually ended up telling their friends, Labour candidates who actually ended up telling their friends not to vote for them and to vote for the Lib Dem. And that was something that because of the sort of existential threat from the Scottish National Party to the union, Labour people in Scotland were were much more able to countenance. Now, it will be interesting to see if emotionally the party is able to do that in in England. In terms of the point in your question about the Conservatives running out of ideas and energy, that was something that they claimed not to have done after the 2019 election. So I remember talking to lots of senior figures in the party then who were saying, you know, the, the thing is, is this feels like a new party in a new government, not actually the, the party about to embark upon its near second decade in power at the time. And that was quite striking at the time. It hasn't really felt like it's come to pass, despite the party having a majority, having its biggest majority since 2010, after that 2019 election. And and that's been, for lots of reasons, COVID has made things much more difficult, but actually also just Boris Johnson's leadership has really been quite problematic in, in terms of him being able to secure a majority in votes in the House of Commons. And we have seen lots of policies that have felt quite reheated as well. So recently seeing headlines floating the possible sort of resurrection of, of right to buy again feels pretty lacking in inspiration, I think, given that was obviously a 1980s policy, but it was also something that David Cameron's government did quite a lot on as well. So really the the idea that this administration is a sort of powerhouse of ideas is quite hard to stand up, not least because the number 10 operation has been quite keen for quite some time to avoid anything controversial that will highlight just how hollow the majority is at the moment. So, James, what do you think the Tories' election pitch is going to be? Because we have a situation where Lyndon Crosby is now back advising the Prime Minister. We have a new team around the Prime Minister who like to talk about the election regularly in meetings, often saying, you know, you have to be ready as early as 2023 in case we need to go there. There have been some reports this week that they could go in the next month or so, though I would personally be surprised. What do you think they're going to go on? Is it going to be a Linton-style campaign? And is that much more defensive than the Dominic Cummings-style campaign we saw in 2019? So, the first thing I'll say, I think the Tories won't go until 2024. And I think it would be a mistake for them to go any earlier. Because if you look at all the economic news, it's all going Recession. to get worse. Over and while as if you go in September, October 2024, there is a chance that people feel like they're through the worst, they're beginning to get a bit better off, they've had an income tax cut you might have more of a chance then. So I would heavily discount the idea of the Tories going in some kind of snap poll. I think there are some people who are very loyal to Boris Johnson who think that talking up the idea of an election very soon might dissuade Tory MPs from a leadership challenge because there isn't time. I, 
I am very sceptical of the idea that they're going to try and have an election this summer or anything like that. Indeed, I, I think I would be rather surprised considering that various people who are crucial to their election efforts are currently you know, not in the country in Australia because of the election there. It would be strange for them to be planning to embark on one. I think the challenge for the Tories is is in some ways not dissimilar to the problem that Labour faced at the last election. Labour's problem in the last election was they were having to fight in two very different battlefields. And the Tories are going to have the same problem. They are going to have to have a fight in those seats that they took for the first time from Labour in 2019, lots of whom have quite small majorities, where they are going to have to basically defend those seats. And at the same time, they're going to have two fights, slightly different fights against the Lib Dems in the South. In the remain parts of the South East, I mean, they will have a kind of a fight with voters who dislike the kind of Boris Johnson style, and the kind of populist term that they think the Tories have taken. And then in the South West, I think you will have a slightly different fight, which is a fight with rural voters who feel that, you know, they have lots of poverty in their patch, but levelling up seems to always be about the North, not them. And who feel that, you know, who feel uneasy about some of these new trade deals the government is signing. You know, for example, you have an interview in the, in the magazine this week, Katie, with George Brandis, the Australian High Commissioner, who talks about how, you know, how alarmed DEFRA were by the potential trade deal of Australia. Now, they were alarmed, essentially, on behalf of their kind of client-based farmers, and that is going to be a problem. I think you will see the Lib Dems in their ability to pick up whatever issue that they can in, in each individual seat to run with. In the same way in Cheshire and Amersham, they ran very hard on, on being opposed to planning changes. I think in the southwest at the next election, you will find the Lib Dems bringing kind of lots of warnings about, you know, the prospect of, you know, five more years of Tory government means more cheap food flooding into the country and hurting farmers' incomes. So I think one of the Tory problems is that I think one of the things that the Tories want to do in the campaign is, and don't chortle at this point, I think they want to contrast the prospect of a Conservative government with another coalition of chaos. I think they will be making an argument that, you know, if you don't vote for them, no one's going to have a majority. And they will try and, I think, suggest that, you know, Keir Starmer's weak, so he's going to get pushed around, whether it be by Nicola Sturgeon or whether it be by Ed Davey. And I think that you'll hear a lot about, you know, Lib Dem Spring Conference passed a motion saying that they want to kind of get close to the single market again. And, you know, lots of accusations that the, the Lib Dem Remainer tail would be wagging the dog and all this stuff. So I think the Tories will try and do the kind of it's us or chaos pitch. But that will obviously be harder, given that, that British politics has not exactly been Lake Placid over the last few years. Yeah, it's, not, it's not the most inspiring line I've ever heard, perhaps because we've heard it before. Isabel, just finally, when it comes to that, I wondered, I mean, we've often talked about crunch points of Boris Johnson, and they come and go. There's back in the times when a fixed penalty notice would be enough, no longer. And then it was the local elections. And obviously, we don't want to speak too soon, because it's clearly some unhappiness amongst backbenchers about these results. But there hasn't been that big surge to as the Prime Minister. So do you think it's more likely than not the Prime Minister will be the person leading the Tories into that election or not? Uh, I mean, there are still so many flashpoints in the next few months that uh, that could completely change things. But one thing I've noticed that's really interesting today is while we haven't, as you say, seen that flood of letters going in, there have been quite a few calls for a big change on economic policy and had Ian Duncan Smith talking about the need for a chancellor who will cut taxes, who will boost universal credit and so on. And he didn't say 
you know, and that means it's time for Rishi Sunak to go. But there's been a lot of focus from particularly the, the right of the Conservative Party on the need for a big shift in Treasury policy. And it's almost as though Rishi Sunak is the one getting much more flack than Boris Johnson. But I suspect that uh, in the coming months, given we still have the Metropolitan Police inquiry, given we still have the Sue Gray inquiry, that that may change. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.